This is the DevSecOps Days Podcast. DevSecOps Days Podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk. So you had one of the main sessions that does this morning. Yes. Give us like the 30,000 foot overview. What was the session about this morning? The session was about DevOps and open source. And by that, what I mean is that we wanted to present a case where we show how DevOps is helping open source and how open source is helping DevOps. It's kind of both ways scenario. So we kind of presented the viewpoint as to why we needed to move to open source and then how we are using DevOps to actually facilitate some of the things that we needed to do to manage open source. It's a remarkable facility here, and you had a big room to talk to. With that many people, what were you trying to get across? What was the main message you were trying to get across? So if you look at uh, who attends this conference, it's kind of, the as, as Jin puts the right way, it's not for the unicorns per se, it's about the big enterprises that are struggling to get onboarded onto DevOps uh, bandwagon, if you, if you will, and also understand how the whole thing works. The whole, so, so it's kind of a message for them that, uh, you know, there are a lot of enterprises who are either pessimistic or maybe scared a little bit about getting onto this DevOps uh, train um, and also in the open source. So I just wanted to spread out a message saying that if Capilone as being regulated as it is can do it, everybody should be able to do it. It just needs the willpower and, and collaboration between people. It's interesting to me, I mean, you're with Cap One, obviously, and yet you're perceived as one of the top guys in the industry here. I mean, it's mm-hmm. awesome to watch you work. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it didn't happen in one day. It took a lot of time from a lot of people, dedication, um, and, you know, a lot of hard work to get here where we are. And uh, the, the bad part is that it's not, still not done yet. Yeah, yeah. When you were talking about open source this morning, obviously that's close to us, though we keep an eye on it. Uh, As far as the proliferation of open source throughout the enterprise level, I know you're talking to a lot of different people outside Cap1. We think it's growing. Are you seeing that the use of open source is growing? It is growing immensely. I mean, for us, I think it kind of saturated because we took a stand saying that you are open source first. Uh, meaning, if you uh, are trying to get in a solution, then the first question you ask the developers, is there an open source solution to this? And if yes, then when aren't you using that? Mm-hmm. So so it's kind of the open source is the top, as opposed to, let's talk about commercial mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, so for us, it's kind of saturated in the sense that it's, it's open source. Was that really, that move, a decision of, why are you going to sit there and code for a few weeks to create that thing when it's available on the internet uh, for free and you can download it in a second? Or was there another kind of primary driver in that? There are multi-dimensions. Yes, so there are multi-dimensions to it. One is, and I'm not going to speak in a specific order. It's just mm-hmm. whatever comes to my yes. mind first. First is skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I hire, if I want to hire skilled engineers 
they come in with the knowledge of whatever they have used in the schools or colleges in other other uh, you know startups and all that they all know about open source the tools the things that they have used and it's kind of natural for them to come in open up the laptop and start coding you know don't need yeah. to go through these two months of whatever training or, or you know orientation so that's one aspect of it the other aspect of it is that historically i personally have seen if bug is found in commercial software it takes a whole lot to fix that as opposed to bugs found in open source it gets fixed faster not the next day but you'll always have somebody actually addressing your, your concerns right uh, the other thing is since it is open source, everybody is looking at it. We actually think the quality of open source is higher than you will find in commercial. Of course, it's very, uh, uh, very hard to actually compare both because sometimes a lot of things are hidden from you in the commercial things yeah. where mm -hmm. open source being open, you kind of know you are getting, mm -hmm. right? It's crystal clear. Uh, you can actually take the source code, scan it through whatever scanning tool you have and find the vulnerability yourself, which you could not do with the commercial software. So, you know, and I can go on and go on. So these yeah. are some major benefits. It's, it's interesting what you say about the kind of from a recruiting aspect, what knowledge are you bringing into the, the organization? So I was speaking about a month ago on a government industry panel and they were talking about the transformation into cloud and how important it was and whether it made sense for these government organizations. And I said, you know, look, the reality is if you want to hire people into your organization from school, from universities, they're all raised as mm -hmm. cloud native already. Mm -hmm. they, everything they're using yeah. is in the cloud already. Mm -hmm. And if you're not cloud native right. to them they're going to come in and interview and say what are you using and you're like oh i'm using these old archaic you know on-premises tools that they have no idea even existed right right and they would have to relearn kind of their model of thinking right. so i said if, if you really want to you know, just stay current and be able to recruit people mm -hmm. you have to make this transformation right. kind of regardless of the value of that exactly. technology and what it's going to do, but just from who out there could I hire that knows how to work with mm -hmm. what I'm working with? If they're all using new tools, you can't exist on the kind of legacy applications. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you hire somebody that comes, with, I know, when they come in, they get a laptop. Yeah. And <clears throat> you have all the access and they come in, okay, what is your source code GitHub? Oh, got it. What's your right. pipeline, Jenkins base, Nexus right. Sonar, right. whatever that is. They already know about those things. So they are ready yeah. to go. All they need to know is what application they're going to cover. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that brings up what Snover talked about. Jeffrey had a wonderful session yesterday. Mm -hmm. One of the things he said, if it's a differentiator for your business, build it. If it's not, buy it. Mm -hmm. And to me, that buy it also means consume open source. Yes. <clears throat> Like, don't spend time on rewriting or reinventing the world. Yeah. Yeah. That that was a, a mind-opening experience. The whole presentation by itself well, was great. awesome. I mean, yeah, yeah. When we're looking at uh, the results of the software supply chain report, one of the things that was discovered is that the time to remediation has gotten exponentially shorter if you're going to stop somebody. From the time that... A CVE is announced 
So when it's actually being exploited, you've got less than three days to fix it. Mm -hmm. uh, enterprise your size, how do you even start? Six years ago, there were no tools. We couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, let alone detecting whether somebody's using that library. So the, the next step was now with the tools and things that are there in the market, we now know at least if you are using it. Uh, then next is, okay, now that I know you are using it, can you fix it? Well, if you didn't have a good pipeline, then it could fix it in the source code, but it's not going <laughs> any production. Now we can actually send it out. So that's kind of the going back to the, you know, continuous delivery automation model. It's not about the fact that I'm deploying every three hours. It's a fact about, yes, I can. So if mm -hmm. you tell me that, you know, you have three days, can we run a pipeline? Oh, yes, we run that 15 times a day. Right. right. No. So it's going to get to production. You tell me when you want it, you know, and it's, it's all about prioritizing your other work along with that patch and how critical it is to send that patch. Is it like two hours or two days? Yeah. But I, I think that, so when I looked at the, the Dora uh, report this year, it said that I, I want to say 7% of organizations can deploy on demand. Uh, seven. Seven 7%. And then there's 48% that could deploy between one day and one week. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of in this, you know, if you look at the adversary window of how fast are the exploits out there and happening, if you're in that 48%, if you're on the good side of it, then, you know, you're safer. But if you're on the, the bad side, you're more at risk. But I think, you know, similar to what I'm hearing from, from Topo is, you know, we've had conversations with the, the folks at Fannie Mae. And when a new vulnerability comes out in an open source component that they're using, they don't have an emergency process for moving that piece of code into production. They have their continuous delivery process. Wow. And for them, that process is a two-day process right? at their current level of maturity and velocity. So they said, hey, you know, if there's a new vulnerable version of Struts that is announced today, right. We will move that. It is a business requirement that says there's a vulnerability. We need to move this requirement into production. We put it through the standard pipe that we put all other business requirements through. Now, we might prioritize it mm -hmm. to go through to start yeah. today, but it's a two-day process, and it will be there. And they just said, you know, it's basically it's a bug. It's a business requirement, but there's no difference in that they don't say, oh my gosh, this bad thing happened, let's yeah. create this emergency process. Yeah. And just like you're saying, mm -hmm. like, look, we deploy 15 times a day, mm -hmm. like, which deployer are we going to get it in? Because this is just, it's a new business requirement right. that just came up today that's kind of an external one influenced right. by security vulnerability. But it, in practice, if you're doing DevSecOps right, it should be no different than and you, you had a performance bug. Exactly. And you needed to move that through. And yeah. you have 15 releases yeah. in which you're going to move that through. Yeah. And, and there are some worst case scenarios such as, hey, I have so much things I have not released yet, but they are in my deployment environment. I don't want to release all those. Okay. Create a box branch and branch it out from your master mm -hmm. and put the fix on there. You're actually not changing any code. You're just changing your POM version or whatever with the latest version. The other worst case scenario is if the library that has the patch is breaking your build, meaning that, you know, your version was, I don't know, 1.0.0 and the patch version is 2.1 right. and you actually didn't use the other versions prior yeah. to 2.1, your build may break because there are other things changed, then you get into the scenario as to, okay, now it's bigger than what you thought.
The dilemma I have in thinking like this is it's nice to talk like this, but what you're talking about is a very mature organization that's able to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that what most people listening to this podcast would think is, you know, I'm not anywhere near that. How can I even get started doing that? Start creating the inventory, as uh, Jenny was saying. Yeah, I I was going to say, like, if you... If you have no idea what's there, you can't even start on the journey. So the first thing is you have to know what, what? open source are you using, right? right? If, you, if you don't know that, you can't even fix the problem. Because if there's a new vulnerability announced today, like the first question you have to ask is, did we ever use that? So if you don't know what you use, mm-hmm. you can't even begin to solve the problem unless you begin a scavenger hunt, which is going to be a very inefficient way of doing security. It's right. going to be a manual review of... 500 or 5,000 apps, and you know you don't want to be on that team. Right. <laughs> the other thing that we have to talk about, too, is uh, the cultural transformation that has to happen in a company to do the scale that you're doing. I was talking to uh, Mick Kirsten earlier this mm-hmm. morning. One of the things that we came up with is, and I have never heard it discussed, and Mick hadn't either, where does the CFO fit in all this? Is he part of the decision-maker be decision-making process because he has to determine the risk assessment that they're willing to apply money towards. I mean, Shannon Leet says what uh, the bad guys are doing is finding what's going to cost you the most to fix. Mm-hmm. And then they're going after that, daring you to spend right. the money to right. fix it. Well, it depends upon who the CIO reports to. In many organizations, CIO reports to CFO. In many organizations, CIO reports to directly to CEO or whoever. So it depends upon the organization. Um, in our case, uh, uh, I have not seen CFO because that's different. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the CIO for us, uh, at least in Capital One. And of course, our CEO is very supportive of how the, how the organization is being run, uh, technology-wise. Right. So. Derek, what, give me one really big talking point about the software supply chain report that stood out for you this year. I think so. This is the fourth year that I've written the report, um, and you know, there's always stats in it about how much open source is being used, how much, you know, what percentage of vulnerabilities exist, and blah blah blah. And those are always interesting to see, kind of what's the new stat this year, or, or the update to the stats we've been following year after year. But the big thing that came out this year was we saw eleven instances of where adversaries had changed their attack approach. And it used to be that you hear of a struts vulnerability as an adversary and you think, okay, now I need an exploit to that vulnerability and I might create one or find one on the internet within a day. And then I can go and look for where that struts vulnerability or other thing may exist in someone's infrastructure. So it's a kind of waiting game, but you wait for the big one and when the big one comes, you move fast, and you try and move faster than the other adversaries out mm-hmm. there. But the attack pattern that, that really came uh, into light in the last year was the adversaries say, I know you're using open source, the whole development community worldwide, and you're using it in massive, massive quantities. So if I want to go in and try to steal the credentials, of someone developing on homebrew, 
break into that open source project, insert my malicious code, and release a new version of that component that is then taken by the automated development tools and mm -hmm. pulled into these organizations, that could get deployed 30,000 times in the next 24 hours. Yep. And if you're doing that, you don't have to wait for the next zero day to come out. You've actually created it yourself by injecting uh, malicious code into the supply chain. And the, coupled with that, the, the change in the approach of attacks is we're constructing our own attacks because it's inefficient to just wait for the next thing to be discovered, is that they, they, the adversaries have said, we don't necessarily want to use this malicious code to break into your systems. We can just attach crypto miners right. to these uh, instances and we can have 30,000 crypto miner instances out on the internet mining for us getting us cryptocurrency, or building cryptocurrency for us, and that's untraceable. So I no longer have to break into the bank, find your data, steal your data, right. resell your data, because all of those steps create risk mm -hmm. and inefficiencies for the adversaries. But if I can be extremely efficient in my business as an adversary, then I break into your computing power, I steal it. You're not even aware that you're using those open source components because you're not you know, tracking any of what you're using. It's out in production within 24 hours and I'm mining and maybe I mine for a week and then, and then I, I shut I did, it off, yep, right? Exactly. I made $4 million this week. I'm happy. I don't have to work for the next year and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm on. But that change is very scary from the standpoint of not only just what it is, but if you go back to the basic question on, like, what do you do to start? If you don't even know that you're using open source, and the adversaries do, they're at such an advantage because you don't even know where to look for these things happening. But they're happening in more volume, more frequency than I think anyone really imagined. That was the, the scary thing when I was writing the, the report is I knew the impact, how broad the impact of these changes are with most organizations not even paying attention. To kind of round up the discussion here, when Gene asked you to present, I mean, you're one of the, the keystones here at his, his series of conferences. When he came to you, what did he ask? Did he ask for you to present something specific? This is what I, I need no. you to talk about? So, uh, yeah, so he said, so what are you going to talk about? <laughs> there you go. I don't know. Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> And then you kind of went back and forth, and then I found that in actual State of DevOps report, they have included uh, a correlation of uh, number between open source usage and DevOps success. Ah, wow. So I thought that would be a good so, idea. So the, the correlation, then, the more open source you use, the more successful you are? It's not the conclusion. Okay. It's the correlation. They have seen that the people who use more open source they get more uh, success. This is the DevSecOps Days podcast. DevSecOps Days podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risks.